when you have great coaches, then after you have great coaches, you get great players. You have a great organization, and you tell them one thing. Just win, David. listening to just pod baby a las vegas raiders podcast brought to you by silver and black and now your host evan Grote. and let's go raider nation you are listening to the week 13 victory monday recap episode here on just pod baby well it wasn't the victory that many of us had envisioned but it was a victory nonetheless and the raiders needed it to keep their season alive my co-host Mo Moten and I will be breaking it all down for you. There's a lot to dig your teeth in after this game. Just Pod Baby is powered by Silver and Black today. Make sure you're tuning in to the radio show every day, 2 to 4 Pacific time, 5 to 7 on the East Coast. Don't forget to get over to the website as well, silverandblacktoday.com. It's a critical part of the season, and you want to make sure that you are staying informed and, and getting the best analysis that's out there. Don't forget about our great sponsors over at Manscaped.com, the very best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Their new and improved Lawnmower 3.0 is a total game-changer. You thought that 46-yard game-winning touchdown pass to Henry Ruggs got you excited? Wait until you try this product. With the skin-safe technology, the LED light, the fact that it's waterproof and has great battery life, put it on your list for Santa and let them know you can save 20% off plus free shipping with the code PODBABY. Head over to Manscaped.com right now. All right, let's bring in our co-host for tonight. Welcome back again, Mo Moten. You can follow Mo on Twitter at Mo Moten. Uh, also follow all his great work he does for us at Silver and Black today. But also make sure you're supporting his great work as a featured columnist for Bleacher Report as well. Mo, it, it wasn't the win that many of us were hoping for. In fact, you wrote a piece about it last week about the Raiders needing more than just a win this week. I also talked about it on the preview episode last week. Just give us some of your thoughts after the Raiders uh, win. It was a struggle, but they did end up beating the Jets on Sunday. Yeah, as you mentioned, I wrote about this, and I said basically in the piece that if the Raiders win it, but it's a sloppy victory, people aren't going to be as satisfied. Uh, fans really wanted to see the the Raiders crush the Jets, and I warned people that you know I wouldn't call for a blowout because you never know what's going to happen. But just be happy with the win. But you want to see a team really define who they are at this point in the season. And at this point, after the with the performance we saw with the Raiders yesterday, we don't know are they the team that we saw earlier in the year that was you know, less penalized. Pretty buttoned up. Are they the team that we saw over the last two weeks? You know, penalties, turnovers, offensive line kind of struggling. Which team are we getting week to week? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I was thinking about this today. One of the reasons why I love the NFL, and I'm, I'm sure it's one of the reasons why a lot of people enjoy the NFL, is just the parody that's in the league. You talked about what what team, what Raider team is going to show up from from a week to week basis. We saw this Raiders team beat the Chiefs earlier in the year at Arrowhead. They almost beat him a second time just a couple weeks ago. And then yesterday, you saw that same Raiders team blow an 11-point second-half lead. And if it wasn't for what I think was a really bad play call by the now-fired DC of the Jets, Greg Williams, the Raiders almost gave the Jets their first win. I mean, it just goes to show you that we can analyze these games and these matchups and the strengths and weaknesses of all these teams. But once you strap it up come Sunday, anything can happen. So to be perfectly honest with you, Mo, although I don't feel great after the win on Sunday to the Jets, I also would not be shocked to see the Raiders come out and put on a great performance against the Colts on Sunday. 
Yeah, the Raiders have a habit of playing to their competition, playing to the level of their competition. So if it's a good team, the Raiders will play up for them. If it's a lesser team, they'll play down, which is good news, bad news, because it depends on who you play. The you know, it'll determine which type of team you're going to get. So I like you, I wouldn't be surprised if the Colts game is a pretty tight matchup. Yeah, I think we can all agree. Again, it wasn't the performance we want, but at this point in the season, when you're just trying to survive and advance, a win is a win. Obviously, there's a lot they need to clean up, but, uh, you know, it is what it is, and uh, they just got to keep the wins going. So if you're ready, Mo, let's let's get into that recap now. I'm ready for this, for this thriller we're about to go into right here. <laughs> all right, here we go. <laughs> The Jets' offense came out of the gates looking really sharp with a little bit of run and a pass on their opening drive. Sam Darnold engineered a 12-play, 74-yard drive to get the game started for the Jets. It resulted in a Jamison Crowder three-yard touchdown. Three times the Jets converted on third down. The Jets held an early 7-0 lead in the first quarter on the Raiders' first possession of the game. It did not end well, as well as the Jets'. After three catches by Darren Waller for 39 yards, Las Vegas moved the ball into Jets territory. But on second and one from the New York 32-yard line, Derek Carr would look for Henry Ruggs. The ball would tip off his hands and into the arms of Jets uh, defensive back Arthur Millette for the game's first turnover mo. It was, a, it was a short throw. It came out a little hot, but it did hit Ruggs in the hands. Give us your take on the play. Yeah, uh, Ruggs goes motion left. And as I tweeted, Carr's pass was, was high. I didn't mean to say, you know, too high for Rex to, to, you know, not to catch it because uh, people on Twitter were like, oh, you know, he has to catch that. And I agree. But two things can be true at the same time. The, the pass can be high and Ruggs still has to bring in that catch. Uh, he doesn't, as you said, bounces off his hands. Arthur Millette picks it off and already Raider Nation is up in arms about this. The defense was able to force a three and out following the pick to get it back to the offense who would go on a scoring drive of their own car hooked up with Henry Ruggs. <laughs> for a gain of 28 yards and then found Darren Waller for another 28-yard gain and the Raiders were in business from the Jets 10-yard line. Two plays later the Jets, or excuse me, the Raiders would even the score at 7-all when Carr found his go-to man in the game Darren Waller for a 9-yard touchdown. Mo, what did you see on the throw and catch to Waller? Yeah, easy throw and catch there with uh, Lamar Jackson in coverage. It was pointed out during the broadcast that Lamar Jackson was basically called his eyes in the wrong place. He was looking in the backfield, which allows Waller to get the inside leverage and open a wide window for Derek Carr to throw into. By the way, Lamar Jackson's the same guy who gave up that touchdown at the uh, last play of the game. So we'll get to that later. But again, undrafted cornerback in the wrong spot with his eyes undisciplined. Yes, we will. We will definitely get to that later on. Now in the second quarter of the game, the Jets would take the would take the field again and marched their way down the field. Jamison Crowder got it going with a 16-yard gain over the middle. Ryan Griffin chipped in with a 13-yard catch. And with Frank Gore out for the game with a concussion, it was Josh Adams who rumbled his way down the 25 yards to the Las Vegas 13-yard line, all setting up the second touchdown pass of the game from Darnold to Crowder on third and three. The Jets caught the Raiders in his zone coverage. What did you see on this one, Mo? Yeah, basically Joyner left, I believe, on a previous play. And out of the slot, Crowder just comes in, wraps behind Amik Robertson, away from uh, Nick Kwiatkowski, and sits on the route. And Darnold finds him for an easy pitch, pitch and catch. Four Raiders standing around Jameson Crowder, none of them able to stop him. The extra point attempt was no good. The Jets again held the lead at 13-7, following an eight-play drive by the Raiders that would stall out at the Jets' 40-yard line. A.J. Cole would come out 
and punt it, uh, punt it back to the Jets. And then Cleve Farrell made his presence known after missing the previous two games. Farrell used some speed and some good handwork to beat rookie Mekhi Becton, who, who looked really good in run blocking throughout the game. But he beat him off the edge on this play to pressure Darnold and was able to knock the ball out of his hands and force the fumble. Farrell played his best game of the season by far. The Raiders would add a 48-yard field goal as a result from the turnover. The defense came up uh, big again on the next on the next Jets p- possession when Trayvon Mullen was able to intercept Sam Darnold. Mo, it was an incredible play by Mullen. Talk us through that one. Yeah, incredible play by Mullen, but also a bad throw by Darnold. If you look closely, uh, he has Brashad Perryman. He's supposed to throw it to the outside shoulder. He throws the ball inside. And then that allows Trayvon Mullen to one-arm grab it. If you look at the throw, he just kind of swipes it, <laughs> swipes it right out of the air, comes down with the incredible catch. Mullen has, has had some in- interesting interception um, catches, so this is another one to add to the highlight reel for Mullen and a turnover for the, for the Raiders. Yeah, and the Raiders were able to take advantage of the interception. Nelson Aguilar caught three uh, passes of 13, then 14, and 4. And from the Jets' 38-yard line, Derek Carr went back to the well, again with Darren Waller. It was a short pass. Waller broke a tackle and made a second defender miss with a stiff arm, and the Raiders took the 17-13 lead just before the half. Cleve Farrell would again add another sack, uh, sack fumble, again with 28 seconds left in the first quarter. Unfortunately, though, the Raiders were not able to convert it to points. But, Mo, how good was it for this defense to get some contributions from Farrell as a pass rusher? Definitely. I know he doesn't have he didn't have any sacks, but you look at his impact. The Jets turned him over three consecutive drives. Of course, we talked about Trayvon Mullen having an intel interception, but in between that, I mean, sandwiching sandwiching that interception, Farrell his two strip sacks, huge in this game. The Raiders do not win this game without Cleveland Farrell in the lineup. So kudos to him. I think this is his best game as a Raider. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the Raiders would receive the, the kickoff to begin the second half, and, and they uh, established their best drive of the game, I thought, a long 13-play, 75-yard drive. After only 14 yards of rushing in the first half, Gruden wanted to get Devontae Booker more involved in the game plan. He carried the ball six times, but the, the big play was again to Darren Waller, who picked up 19 yards on a completion from Carr, and Derek Carr capped off the impressive drive with a two-yard run. He took it in himself to give the Raiders the 24-13 lead. It looked as if they would finally begin to pull away, but even after the defense forced two consecutive punts, the offense sputtered and would punt it away twice on their next two possessions as well. A.J. Cole did pin the Jets inside their own five-yard line with a beautiful punt, but that wouldn't stop the Jets. They would matriculate the ball down the field, 96 yards, many of those yards coming on the ground with a combination of Josh Adams and Ty Johnson. Sam Arnold also, Darnold, excuse me, also added a 17-yard scramble of his own, and he finished off the drive himself with a four-yard touchdown run. Mo, the Jets had, had some success on this drive and throughout the game running the ball. Discuss some of the struggles that the defense had against this run. Yeah, first of all, credit to Makai Beckton. I believe he's he third in Pro Bowl voting, as I last heard uh, Sunday, yesterday, but they ran behind him a lot. They ran left behind him, 6'7", 364 pounds, so you can understand the Raiders have had some issues getting around Beckton. But Gruden also talked about it today. The Raiders had issues getting off blocks. Uh, I saw some gap discipline issues, guys getting out of their lane and, and allowing big holes for Josh Adams and um, Ty Johnson. So the Raiders, this is this is a situation that comes up at a bad time because you're going against now a Colts team next week that uh, I would say the stats may not show up, but they can run the ball pretty well behind that offensive line. If you have gap discipline issues, you're going to get crushed in the trenches. 
Yeah, the Jets did total 206 yards rushing uh, in the game. A successful two-point conversion cut the Raiders' lead to 21. Um, excuse me, 24-21. The second half struggles would continue for the offense. On the ensuing possession, Henry Ruggs would cough it up after a catch for a first down. And with 8:45 left in the game, the Jets had the ball with a chance to take the lead. Clee Farrell was flagged for a 15-yard personal foul that moved the ball to the Las Vegas 24-yard line. And five plays later, Ty Johnson hit Pater from the one. And just like that, the Jets were in the driver's seat to win their first game of the season. Derek Carr, though, he took the field with 5.34 remaining in the game, looking to engineer a fourth-quarter comeback on a crucial third and 10. Darren Waller's monstrous day continued, catching another pass for 29 yards, getting getting into Jets' territory at the 33-yard line. And on fourth and eight after an incomplete pass, which looked like it would end the game, the Raiders were bailed out by a defensive holding penalty on Marcus May. Now with a fresh set of downs, the Raiders would again be faced with a fourth down, this time from the Jets' nine-yard line, and Derek Carr connected with Hunter Renfro for what we believed was the go-ahead touchdown, but flags on the play, offsetting penalties would mean the fourth down play would be played again, which all led to uh, a lackluster lackluster throw by Derek Carr off his back foot while he was backpelling. I'm sure many of you were out there cursing him out, cursing the team out. I saw tweets from people saying they were done with this team, but there was still 137 on the clock, and the Raiders did have two timeouts. The defense did its job by forcing a much-needed punt to get the ball back to Carr and company, and with just 35 seconds on the clock from their own 39-yard line after a, a really important gain of 15 yards to Darren Waller on their first play, it gave them an opportunity to, to, to get the Hail Mary pass off if needed. And on 3rd and 10, Raider Nation's prayers were answered. Let's just sit back and listen to the audio on this one, courtesy of CBS. Spiro Didas is on the call here. Take a listen. 13 seconds left. 3rd and 10 for Carr and the Raiders. Jets coming. Carr puts the air under it. Wide open his legs for the touchdown. Carr and company needed a miracle, and it's the rookie Ruggs wide open. Mo, I was at a loss for words. Talk us through what you were thinking when you saw Henry Ruggs catch that ball and cross over the goal line. First, I was thinking, I I can't even say it on this podcast, the tweet that I put out, but I was like, this is the most Raider thing ever. Uh, There was an explicative in there, but... It was just it, it was just madness because you went through a wave of emotions. It was kind of like and you talked about the drive prior when uh, Derek Carr threw off his back foot to Nelson Aguilar and it came up short. At that point, the, te- the tweets were flying about Derek Carr. People were saying, oh, Derek Carr, this is who he is. He's a bum. Let him go. We need to. Where's Mariota? Everything came out about Derek Carr negative at that point because people felt like he didn't play well yesterday. Now, I would agree with that assessment. He didn't have his greatest game, and he admit that he missed two or three passes. And he missed that one to Nelson Aguilar, which what I thought could have been a touchdown, a game-winning touchdown right there. But, again, that pass was short. And you started to just kind of think, oh, man, the Raiders are going to give the Jets their first win. And then I did tweet that they still have one more chance after they stopped the Jets. And I said, there's one more chance. And people just kind of laughed at me like, ha, ha, they're not going to get this draw. They're, you know, it's done. Whatever, Mo. You're just being positive, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, wait a minute. It's, you know, still about a minute and a half is with this offense. You could still do some things against a winless Jets team. And you saw what happened when Ruggs catches that ball. I'm thinking redemption because he had the ball 
pop off his hands for that interception. He had a fumble in the, midway through the fourth quarter. So he really needed this. And to, for Carr to go to Ruggs in that moment, I hope that builds trust between the two because they've had their chemistry issues in the past where Ruggs may uh, not run a route or Carr maybe overthrew him or underthrew him. They've had some connection issues. And then the intel, and I said the the fumble. So you, you got Ruggs making mistakes, Carr not accurate. And for that to happen to finish the game, was huge. I, I I didn't want to say I was jumping up and down because to me they should have beaten the Jets team convincingly, but it was great to see Ruggs get his redemption and the Raiders get the W. Yeah, it was a wild finish, and and, and you said it. It was just a roller coaster of emotions for everyone involved. And you know, talking about that play with Ruggs, it, it, that could you could look back in, in, in four weeks and say that was the play that saved the season. And, and I, and I'm glad you mentioned the point about maybe some confidence being built between Carr and Ruggs. And I, and I really do. I hope that's the case. I hope this is, this is the play that can maybe just get his entire season jump started. And I know it's late in the season, but you know what, if they can get something going here, the last four games, that would be huge. So, um, you know, I'm just still in shock to be honest. I, I kind of sat there um, quietly. I didn't really say anything. I was just, I was kind of in shock. Like the, the fact that they they couldn't score on the previous drive, and then the fact that they they did score. I just kind of sat there like in silence. It was kind of strange actually. But um, you know, I, I know you have some thoughts on the the defensive play call by Greg Williams to send the all-out blitz. There's there's been a lot made about this this play call. Everyone's been talking about it today. I was listening to some uh, national sports radio today. My guy Chris Mad Dog Russo on Sirius XM. He was he spent a lot of time talking about it today and took a lot of calls on it. Some obviously think it was the Jets just trying to tank. Some say it was just Williams being Williams. I I personally think it was more so. Greg Williams just thinking, you know, what do I have to lose? I guess other than his job, you know, looking in hindsight, he lost his job. But, you know, I think his thinking was, what the heck, you know, we're 0-11. We're uh, we've got a chance to finish the game right now, and I'm going to go down swinging. But, you know, what are some of your thoughts on the play call by by Williams? Initially, and this is not directed at, at you or anyone I spoke about this with privately because I know I, I we were texting back and forth and we were talking with Scott Silver and Black today and also Q and we had our private conversations about this but this is more directed to the people out there in, in social media uh, I just want to give a message because I was on with Pritch and Clay um, last week and Mike Pritchard is a former first round pick of the Atlanta Falcons and I, I straight out asked him I was like you know a lot of people talk about tanking and the Jets and all of this stuff and I, and I said to him I said Players don't tank because they're they're out there preparing all week for this. This is you know blood, sweat, and tears. They're not preparing all week to tank on Sundays. It just doesn't happen like that. The tanking conversation comes from fans. Fans want teams to tank because then they can get a first round pick and hopefully the quarterback can uplift their franchise. But the players who are out there on the field every week are not thinking tank because you know why their jobs are not secure. The same goes for these coaches, Adam Gase and Greg Williams, who was fired today. They're not guaranteed jobs next next year. So the tanking doesn't benefit them at all. They're not going to have the chance to coach a guy like, like uh, Trevor Lawrence or any top draft pick that comes out of the next 2021 draft. They're not going to be there. Greg Williams definitely isn't going to be there now. Adam Gase will be fired at the end of the year. So to me, it just logically doesn't make sense for our coaching staff to to 
bring down a play call to tank and lose a game. It it, it makes absolutely no sense. Now, you mentioned Greg Williams. This is part of who he is. I tweeted a piece from, I believe, Matt Bowen of ESPN. He had a, he had a, a piece on Greg Williams way back when Greg Williams was a defensive coordinator of the Rams. And basically, Greg Williams' philosophy is, we're not dropping guys deep in coverage to defend the Hail Mary. We're going to bring the house and force the quarterback into a sack or to make a poor pass, an interception, a batted down pass, an incompletion, basically. And that's what Greg Williams has done throughout his whole career. He's been doing it since 1997. He's been a DC since then. And throughout the day, I've been seeing tweets from different uh, writers, beat writers, and players saying, yeah, this is who Greg Williams is. He may not do it every game. This may not be his MO in every matchup, in every situation, but more times than not, he's going to bring the blitz. Why? Because he's an aggressive play caller, and that's what aggressive play callers do. The other thing that I want to point out is the Jets didn't award the Raiders with seven points. A lot still has to go right for the Raiders to score. We talked about it. Carr was inaccurate in some parts in that game, so he has to complete that pass. Ruggs had some mistakes. He had a pass bounce off his hands. He had a fumble, so he has to catch that ball. The other thing is Jalen Richard has to pick up the blitz on this play. If Jalen Richard doesn't go left and pick up that blitz, Carr gets crushed. It's a sack. The game is over. So everyone's talking about this tank, tank, tank. The Raiders still have to make the play at the end of the day. So it, it to me, the whole tanking conversation from a player-coach perspective does not make sense. If you're a fan talking about, yeah, tank, I get it. But if you're a coaching staff with no job security, you're not tanking. If this is Ron Rivera's crew, maybe I believe it because they're not going anywhere. If this is Matt Rule's crew up in Carolina, maybe I believe it because he just got his job. That staff isn't going anywhere. But the Jets, they're going to change around this whole thing next year. So no one is committed to a tank that's going to reap the benefits in the years to come. It, it, just, it just, again, does not make sense. Yeah, I think I think you make some great points there. And <clears throat> excuse me, one, one of the, you know, one of the things you got to consider is not you, but people out there who, who <laughs> believe in that in that narrative that they were tanking on purpose and that players tank is that, and coaches tank, is that Greg Williams most likely, whether they they won that game or, or, or lost that game or not, he probably isn't going to be there next year regardless, right? Because <laughs> most likely Gase is going to be fired and, and mm-hmm. the new head coach will bring in his own staff. So it just doesn't make sense. What what does Greg Williams care about what this team does next year? Because he's not going to be there anyways. And obviously he's not because he was fired, but the same thing with Gase, he ain't going to be there next year either. So yeah, I'm with you. I don't, I don't buy that whole um, players tanking. I, I think anyone out there who's ever played competitive sports, whether it was in mm-hmm. high school or college, you know what it's like to be in the heat of a, of a battle. You're never just going to lay over and, and die. That's just not how it works in, in sports. You guys, we were out there to compete. And when you're competing, you're trying to win no matter what. So I'm with you on that one. Um, and real quick, before we get to our first break, I do, I do have to point this out because I, I saw it. You talked about ESPN. I saw a tweet that ESPN put out there as well from ESPN stats and info. And I'm sure many of you guys ha- have seen it by now. Um, but I'll, I'll kind of give you some of the info from it. There were 252 pass plays called in the past 15 years meeting this criteria. 15 seconds or less on the clock. The team was down by four to eight points and the opposing team needing 40 plus yards to reach the end zone and never in 15 years, never in any of those 252 plays did the defensive coordinator send six plus 
pass rushers in that situation. So we can say that, yes, it is um, in Williams's nature. It's in his DNA to be an aggressive play caller. But in those previous 252 scenarios, we've never seen a play caller do what do what Greg Williams did. So I, I, I at least wanted to put that out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really quick, Gruden actually responded to that because that that uh that stat oh, was oh did he? Out to him I didn't see I didn't see that yes, he did I didn't hear that he actually he called it hogwash oh, he did said he? that's hogwash he did he said I worked for ESPN he said I worked for that employer before and he said you wouldn't believe how some of these statistics are fantasy driven and he said you know basically he's saying who sits there and and combs through. All of these plays to find these situations. He said, "Do you, basically he's saying, do you really believe someone actually combed through all of this to find that stat and justify it? Because hey, if you think about it, who's going to go back and check to say, you know, ESPN, you were wrong about that stat. There was in nineteen in nineteen ninety nine, there was this play where the blitz was called, and you're absolutely incorrect. I mean, I, I'm again, I'm not going to say ESPN is blatantly trying to deceive the people and lie and make up a stat because why would they? But I, I can't I can't verify it either because I'm not going to sit there and comb through all of these games and say, you know what? I, I remember back in 2004, the situation. I, no one knows. I, I just taking ESPN's word for it because they have the credibility. But Gruden basically called it hogwash today. So he basically just, you know, brushed it off as uh, who cares? Well, we are in the world of <laughs> fake news. So, uh, <laughs> you know, any, anything's possible. So, all right, Mo, time to get to our first break. And when we return, we will discuss and break down a couple other topics from the game uh, before we look ahead to the Colts. We'll be right back. We're back here on Just Pod Baby Evan Grote and Mo Moten talking about the Raiders' miraculous 31-28 win over the Jets. The Raiders needed the win badly because the Colts, the Browns, and the Dolphins, all three teams who hold wildcard spots over the Raiders, were all winners yesterday as well. Now, the season is still alive for the Raiders. And you know, Mo, something I was thinking, uh, we already talked about how this was not the win that we were looking for, but, but I'm a big believer in momentum. And, and we talked about Henry Ruggs and Carr maybe building some confidence. What about this team? They they barely survived and got the win, but could this maybe springboard them to give them a jolt of life heading into the final four games of the season? We're absolutely hoping. And and I, I want to be optimistic about it and say, you know, you have another week now to get your act together. I tweeted this last night. I said, the way I see it, the Raiders have now have another week to get their playoff act together because the team you saw yesterday won the game and you have to be appreciative of that. But that team is not a playoff team. The way they play yesterday is not playoff caliber, and it's not going to be good enough to beat the Colts or the Dolphins or maybe not even the Chargers or the Broncos, if you think about it. But they beat a winless team. You, you celebrate the win. But, again, we were hoping last week that the Falcons game woke them up, and we can't really say that after what we saw yesterday. So you're hoping, okay, this is two weeks in a row with lackluster performances. One came out as a loss. One came out as, as a win. You want to say, okay, we can build off the win. You can use that as momentum. You would hope so, because this game against the Colts is probably their biggest game of the Final Four, barring a, a, a last week matchup where they win and get in. But this is this is basically their tough opponent on paper, at least. 
Yeah, and we're going to get into that Colts matchup in just a bit. But before we do that, I want to highlight a couple of the performances from the game on Sunday. Let's start with Darren Waller. A career day for him with the 13 catches for 200 yards and two touchdowns. The Jets had no answer for him all day. He was a matchup mm-hmm. nightmare. They just kept rotating guys one after another to see if anybody could stop him. Um, anytime the offense needed a play to be made, it was Darren Waller. Yeah, definitely. And I, I know that some people were saying, well, maybe it could be a Hunter Renfro's time. I thought it, Hunter Renfro could have a have a great game, but it was just it was just all Darren Waller. And what I find interesting is that he came to the game averaging about 8.5 yards per reception. So I thought he's going to get a lot of short passes. Maybe the win would have an effect on the game. But he was just all over the field. And as you said, the Jets didn't have an answer for him. And I, and I said during the game to myself, just keep throwing to Waller until they prove they're able to stop it. Why even go away from him? I believe he had 17 targets and, as you said, racked up 200 yards. What I find interesting is last year, Waller had 117 targets. This year, he has 107. He's on pace to have more targets than he had last year, even though the Raiders have a more well-rounded pass-catching group. So I find that very interesting. That card still locks on the Waller, and he's, that's still his main guy. Oh yeah, I mean, there, there's no doubt about it. It was, it was obvious from the start that Waller was was going to be a big part of the game plan. And a uh, oh, quick quick stat from the game: Waller was the fourth tight end ever to have 200 plus yards or 200 yards receiving with two touchdowns in a single game. And, and you know, you have to give credit for Gruden. I want to kind of go back a little bit here for making that move in 2018 to to take the chance on Waller, a guy who had some, you know, some issues with the league and. When you look back on it, it looks that is one of the best signings in all of the NFL over over recent memory. Yeah, Gruden loves to tell that story about he how he plucked uh, Waller off the practice squad, and it's it's paying dividends and it's kind of transfer. If you remember before Waller emerged, it was Jared Cook was Derek Carr's guy, and and that was a tight end position, and now it's now it's transferred to Waller, who's again a converted. Uh, he converted from, I believe, wide receiver to tight end. Was a wide receiver at Georgia Tech. Didn't work out with the Ravens, as you mentioned. Had some issues. Uh, got his life together, which is very, very admirable. And he's he's one of the the comeback stories that I think doesn't get enough talk on the, on the national stage. Of course, Raiders Raiders fans know about Waller, and we know about his story. But I think he needs to get more of the national stage because his turnaround has been remarkable. Yeah, let's move on to another great performance yesterday, and that's Cleland Farrell. He was uh, it was good to get him back on the field after he was sidelined for two weeks on the COVID list, and he looked energized. He looked like a he looked like a number four overall pick in the draft, and that's kind of what we've been waiting to see from him on a more consistent basis. But what do you think about the play of Farrell yesterday? I was surprised only because you know when a player comes off the COVID list, you kind of don't know what to expect. Is he, you know, is he going to have his wind up? Is is his, how is his conditioning going to be? And he talked about COVID. He said it was rough. You know, he had a rough time with it, and basically he was just telling people to take it seriously. But again, I, I didn't know how much he was going to play. You know, there was buzz about Vic Beasley being activated, and he was he was he was active yesterday. So you you I kind of figured maybe he was going to be rotated until they figure out like how much can he play, how many snaps can he play, and he was he was their most effective uh, defensive player outside of maybe um, Trayvon Mullen. You know, out there he, I know he had that pick, but Farrell he he deserves the game ball after yesterday. Again, I said it was his best game. As a Raider, and people are going to say, well, what about the sacks? What about this? What about that? Yeah, I know. He came into the game with zero sacks. But guess what? He came. He left the game with two major plays, two sacks there, strip strip sacks, and it propelled the Raiders to a win. And I'll say it again. The Raiders do not win this game without Cleveland Farrell. And they were saying, well, fans, some fans are saying, well, he's a bust, and 
uh, how, how much should the Raiders really need him on the line if he doesn't get any sacks? And you saw it yesterday. They absolutely need him on that line. Yeah, and, and you know, the funny thing about, about the NFL, it's such a long season. Let, let's say, let, let's talk hypothetically here for a minute. What, what, let's say Farrell has a great, you know, five-game stretch here, starting with the Jets and and really makes a couple big plays, you know, in the last four games of the season and kind of helps propel this team to the playoffs. I think the narrative on his entire season would totally change. Everyone would say, oh, what a what a great year Farrell had. He came up huge in the clutch. Am I right? I mean, that's that's really how people think. And, you know, I, it is true because it is such a long season and it's more so about how you finish, not, not necessarily how you start. Yeah, I, I think PFF has been really... Um on Farrell as a, as an improving player, but fans just really haven't bought into it again because he came into the Sunday's game without any sacks. So they were saying, well, how good can he be if you draft him fourth overall? And I believe we even said on this show that while he's improved, he, he really needs to bring something in the pass rush. And you finally saw that yesterday. Now you just hope that he can continue this because you want to see consistency. You want to see it outside of a winless Jets team. But you talked about momentum earlier, and I think this could be the type of game where he gains some momentum going down the stretch and will be much needed in these final four games. Yeah, you talked about PF, uh, Pro Football Focus. Uh, They did grade him out yesterday at a 90.7. He finished the game with six pressures, two sacks, of course, the two forced fumbles, three quarterback hits and a pass deflection. So, yeah, really, really solid game from him. We hope to see more of that going forward. And, you know, Mo, we did, we discussed the Raiders uh, didn't get that clean win, that error-free game that we are looking for, uh, but they did get the win. And sometimes you just have to just have to suck up your pride and realize that it, it's, it's better to be lucky than good in some cases. And in the case of Sunday, it took a fourth-quarter comeback by Derek Carr to lead his troops to the win. It was Carr's 20th fourth-quarter comeback. He passed Matt Ryan for the most in NFL history through a player's first seven games. He admittedly missed a couple throws, but overall he played he played pretty well in the game, put up some big numbers, and he made the big play when it counted. Yeah, definitely, and uh, I know people are going to point to Carr and say, well, he's got to be better, and, and I agree. Carr has to be better. But I mentioned it briefly early in the show that that offensive line hasn't played well for two consecutive for consecutive weeks now, two games. So that offensive line has to also get out on track. Um, I believe you had him on the show recently, Marcus John of Raiders Wire and Tape Don't Lie. He had a tweet he put out earlier and he said Carr was under pressure 45 percent of his dropbacks. That comes from Pro Football Focus, PFF, 45 percent. So half, nearly half the time he was under duress. And this goes back to my point of why maybe Greg Williams sent the house at him on that last play. Getting pressure on Carr and having success against him, especially with him um, being off on some of his throws, you got to think that Greg Williams thought, hey, we'll bring the house, we'll force him into a bad throw, and we'll end the game. So that situation, I I think, fit fit the play call in a sense. I'm not saying it was a good play call, but you can understand the thought process behind it. And again, the Raiders offensive line isn't what it was in, in early in the season, even midway through the season. It's I don't want to say it's crumbling, but it has to be better going forward because if Derek Carr is under pressure, you're going to see a lot more errant throws and, and turnovers. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. In fact, when I was on with Scott and Q last week on Thursday, Q asked me what, what he thought or what I thought the key would be for the Raiders in the, in the Jets game. And, and I said, not only do I believe it's the key in the Jets game, but it's going to be the key the rest of the season is how well the offensive line can protect Carr. Because I think 
to be fair, I think they might have overachieved the the, the at least the first we'll say uh, you know eight to nine games of the season when you consider the fact that they they were without Trent Brown and they were without uh, Incognito. They really played pretty well with Brandon Parker and Denzel Good and Sam Young in and out of the lineup. John Simpson was in there at times. They 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 really kind of played above what I think anyone would have thought they would have done. So I, I do think I'm right there with you. I think this offensive line is going to be key. They got to protect Carr. We know this defense is going to give up points. The offense has to be able to score with other teams in order for this team to win. That's just how this 2020 Raiders team is. They, they got to score a lot of points. And if they can't protect Carr, then then they can't do that. But uh, let's move on to our last topic. I just want to discuss with you, Mo, just, just some news and the notes from the day. Um, as he does every Monday, Coach Gruden spoke with the media and just a couple of little nuggets from that. First, um, I was a little surprised yesterday when I when I saw the the inactives come down. Did you, uh, Carl Nassib? I don't know how you felt mm-hmm. about that. We learned today that he was a healthy scratch, and Gruden referenced a bad week of practice for Nassib, and also the addition of, of Vic Beasley as part of that the reasoning. But I I, I thought Nassib has been playing pretty good. Uh, this season, kind of in a reserve role. What's your take on the decision to to make NASA a healthy scratch yesterday? And what do you think that means going forward? Yeah, initially I thought it was something with his toe because he did break his toe not too long ago. So I thought, okay, maybe he's dealing with a you know a reoccurring injury. And then, as you said, once I heard Gruden say he was a healthy scratch, and then he he referenced, you know, we want guys who have the best practices out in the field. Let's me know that you maybe NASA wasn't bringing enough juice on the practice field. So uh, this is where Vic Beasley comes in and he gets some playing time. Now, I commend Gruden for making that move because you have to send a message. And I, it's funny because I spoke to Q and Scott last week and we talked about the Raiders practices and Carr saying they, they needed to bring the juice. And I said and they said, basically, what do the Raiders coaching staff, what does what do they need to do to ensure this team brings enough energy? And I said, for rotational guys, if they're not out there playing disciplined football, bringing it, bringing it on the practice field, you need to sit them down. And and again, I'm not calling myself Mostradamus or patting myself on the back here, but that's basically, I think, what happened with Nassib is Gruden felt like he wasn't, he just wasn't up to stuff, and other guys are practicing better, and you have to sit down. And Nassib isn't a starter; he's a rotational guy. So for a guy of that of that level to not bring it especially at his contract, the Rays are paying him, my goodness. Um, he has to be able, he has to bring the juice at practice and on the field. Now, you mentioned that he had, I believe he had two quarterback hits against the Falcons in that blowout loss. But again, if you're not bringing it at practice, then Gruden basically sent the message that you're not going to play on game day. And I think that's that's a key right there because other guys are going to look at that and say, well, if I, if I don't, you know, if I don't bring it on the practice field, I'm not going to play on Sunday. So I need to, I need to bring the juice. I need to bring the energy. Yeah. And, you know, a couple of things that I, I find interesting about that decision. It was only one game. We don't know if if that move would be made again this week. Maybe they're just trying to send a message to him. But you t- the money that they paid him, you mentioned that that you know he's they're paying him a hefty amount of money, and to just make him inactive, it's just you know in, in one of the bigger games of the year it seems seems odd. And also he's he's known as a high energy high effort high motor player and now we're talking about maybe him not bringing the you know enough juice or effort in practice not getting after it enough so it does raise some questions but uh a couple a couple other pieces of news that we learned today uh Trent Brown he was activated off the covid list today although his status for this week is still up in the air i'm not feeling confident about it i just 
just don't have a good feeling about it. I don't, I don't know any information that you guys don't. I just don't have a good feeling about it. It's just this thing has lingered and lingered and lingered. And also, if you were expecting Josh Jacobs and John Abram back as well, hold the phone because Gruden doesn't seem overly confident that they will be uh, available as well. We should know a little bit more Wednesday when the team returns to practice. But, you know, we, we've we've talked about the big game coming up now in Week 14 against the Colts. It's going to be a huge game. We saw the issues the run game had without Jacobs uh, versus the Jets. It's one thing to play the Jets without Jacobs, but it's another thing to face the Colts in their top six run defense. What do you think about that, Mo? Yeah, it's going to be tough sledding if they don't have – uh, Jacobs and Abram and it, you can even throw Arnett. I think Arnett was also thrown in that mix of players who, who, who Gruden doesn't expect to play Sunday. He suffered a, a concussion or oh, he's in the concussion protocol after early in the game. I believe he lowered his head and had to leave. But you talk about Jacobs and last year you we we could all agree that he was the engine of that offense. Now this year, Carr has, has uplifted his play, so it's kind of you can kind of say it's even. Carr can carry the team if he needs, uh, if if necessary. But with Carr's uneven play in the last couple of weeks, you, you kind of say, well, the Raiders need Jacobs, and I know Devontae Booker has been good as a number two, but you need your lead back, and I, and I think if he's unable to go, it's it's really going to be tough sledding for the Raiders because as you mentioned. Uh, the closer six and run defense, top 10 scoring defense, and they score some points. They're also a top 10 scoring offense with Phillip Rivers. So they're going to have to score points and they're going to have to stop the Colts. And sometimes at points, they're going to need to control the clock. And you talked about it with the Jets. They weren't really able to do that, establish the run as we would normally think they would. Uh, they, they tried to run the ball out of, out of halftime in the third quarter and they had some success, but it wasn't nearly compared to what they look like when they have Jacobs on the field. So again, uh, Gruden's going to have to cook up something and, and maybe exploit the short passing game, get Jalen Richard more involved because usually teams that don't run the ball. Well, they, they just kind of lean on the short pass as, as a supplement. I'm interested to see if that happens in the next week. We'll see. But as you said, Jacobs uh, news on these players will come up Wednesday and we'll see, even though Gruden wasn't optimistic, uh, he, he did leave the door open for these guys to come back. Yeah, Jacob Jacob's status is going to be huge for this game, and I know sometimes people like to throw the term "must win" around, and, and and when you consider what's at stake, when you look at the standings and the way it's kind of shaken out right now, the the fact that this could have major tiebreaker implications, would you consider this a must win at this point? I wouldn't consider it a must win because on this show I said the Rays are probably going to have to go ten and six. Right to to go to the playoffs. So if they lose this game, now I'm not saying, you know, you're not ideally saying this is not ideal if they lose, but if they lose and they go seven and six, um, do they can they run the table? Can they beat the Chargers, Dolphins, and Broncos? I absolutely think that they could, um, and still go to the playoffs. Now, ideally, you want them to win because the tiebreaker. Now, if the Colts do win a division, it won't matter because then your your tiebreaker would be with the Titans. Right. Who got who got crushed by the Browns yesterday? So right. it all depends. Again, I don't consider this a must win. You at this point, you want to win all the games, obviously, but I don't think this is a make or break game. Where if the Raiders lose, they're not going to the playoffs. They can they can realistically beat the Chargers, Broncos, and Dolphins. The Dolphins don't score a lot of points. Um, I know they play good defense, but they Tua is not. He his performances are very lukewarm, and the Raiders. Uh, every game is winnable from here on out. But again, if the Raiders lose this game, it's not the end-all, be-all for the, for their playoff hopes. 
As always, Mo, you are the voice of reason that Raider Nation needs. We all love your analysis and your takes. It's going to be a huge battle, no doubt about it. Both teams desperately need the win. The Raiders could unseat the Colts as the last wild card team in the, that seventh seed in the AFC playoff uh, picture. It would give them the the much needed tiebreaker advantage over the Colts as well, which cro- could prove to be a, a major factor when things are all said and done. Well, guys, that is going to do it for this week's recap episode. We'll enjoy the the victory just a little bit longer, but it's going to be time to put it to bed and 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 start to shift our attention to the Colts. It's the start of three straight home games for the Raiders. They got to defend the home turf. For my co-host, Mo Moten, I am Evan Grote. We'll talk to you in a couple of days. And as always, just win, baby.